important people in my life and in my recovery. Uh, wow. <laughs> there's more people here. There's twice as many people here as in my hometown that I was born in. <laughs> this is scary. I, I uh, really want to thank uh, Tom and Richard and their family. And this is my first experience here. I've been working with the doctors since 93, and this is my first experience here. And the thing that amazes me is the, the families and the kids. I walk past that Alateen and the Alatot and everything else, and it, it, it's so wonderful to see this, this organization and what you do. I, uh, I also want to thank the probation parole officers for allowing my friends in these two tables to be here tonight. <laughs> and uh, also for their wives to uh, monitor their meds while they're out. I, it's uh, tonight, I don't know what's going to happen because uh, I'm John and I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict. <laughs> so I don't know what's going to happen. The three people that are inside here is the adult that you're seeing here trying to convince you that I know what the hell I'm doing. Uh, the teenager who would love to get out and get in his new Acura and take off and uh, turn off the radar. And then the little boy inside who probably will show up here tonight because that's the little boy that really wants to have fun. I... Uh, I want to thank Dr. Hankus for writing my opening and closing remarks. Uh, he said that since I wasn't a medical person, he'd put some uh, words in here that uh, I wouldn't know, but you would, and it would really impress you. So, I, uh, the doctors that have helped me, uh, being an alcohol drug counselor, uh, this is a dream come true for me, and, and, uh, the, uh, the way they've jumped in and helped me, uh, I, uh, I'm with the, I'm on the board of directors for the Federation of State Health Physicians Programs and, and I'm the, uh, chairman of the, uh, membership committee and all the, I was talking to Gary Olbrick earlier and, and, uh, and Lynn and, and we, we are working back and forth to, to better the programs, uh, and working with the treatment centers that are here and, uh, Lynn, uh, has been especially helpful to me in Idaho, uh, with my monitoring program and getting it up and running. In the winter, uh, he's uh, in Sun Valley going down the hills every day looking for any of my doctors that might not be uh, in compliance, um, and it, it's wonderful to see that. I, uh, I just want to mention uh, how I first uh, met Tom. As most of you know, he's a fisherman and a hunter. And out, no, they don't know that? Oh, okay. And he's out in Idaho sometimes, but when I first met him, we were still drinking, and he took me ice fishing. And uh, that was quite an experience. We were we were both drinking and and we were drilling the hole and and we were taking a swig here and a swig there and pretty happy. And pretty soon this voice said, "There's no fish under the ice." And I looked at him and he looked at me. And we kept drinking and thought, "What the hell was that?" And another a little bit longer, no time at all. There's no fish under the ice. And finally Tom and I just grabbed hands and. We got to our knees and we looked up and said, is that you, Lord? And the voice said, no, it's the manager of the ice rink. <laughs> I, uh, I don't go fishing with Tom anymore. <laughs> I, uh, I like to get a few of the things out of the way. Uh, People always ask me if, if I've been married, and uh, I'm almost 63, and, and I always like to tell people my, my first two wives, uh, they, they died from eating poison mushrooms, and the third one died from gunshot wounds. She wouldn't eat her mushrooms. 
I, uh, it's, it's pretty lonely in Idaho. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I want to thank my friend Susan. Uh, she came out with me from Idaho and, and, uh, I had an operation a few months ago and, and, uh, I'll tell you more about that later, but she, she's one of the people that helped me back into recovery and I really appreciate that. I, uh, I just want to, uh, share my strength, hope, and experience with you to, tonight. And, uh, I know we got ice cream right afterwards, so I'll try to have you out of here by two. Well, I, uh, I asked somebody, I said, what would really win them over? And they said, well, you could start out by saying, in closing. <laughs> That's what the little boy wanted to say. I gotta tell you though, there's one other thing the little boy wants to say, and I, I can't help it, I'm not being a medical person. Is there a doctor in the house? I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I waited. I waited four months to say that, Tom. Would you? <laughs> I uh, I love all of you. I really do. It so wonderful to see uh, all of you here tonight. I uh, I was born. Uh, oh, for you that have heard me talk before, this would be a good time to catch a nap because uh, uh, I'm not going to change the story now. I got too many friends in the room. I. Uh, I was born January 1st, 1938, uh, in a little Mormon town called Oakley. Mormons, that's uh, LDS. Uh, for me now, that stands for Latter-day Swinger. But, uh, this, uh, my, uh, my folks, uh, that'll really foul up a New Year's Eve party. I'll tell you, my dad was still mad about that. I, uh, I was born on January 1st, first baby born in Casia County in 1938. What a glorious time. Uh, we won a ton of coal. We were burning oil. Uh, got a lot of neat dresses, and I was a guy. And uh, then it kind of went downhill from there. My, uh, my father was, uh, uh, he, he was going to the University of Idaho, and he was a, uh, at the Delta Ta Delta Drinking School at the time. And, uh, their, their family, the Southworths, had always had a little bit of money. They owned the flour mills in town, and the farmers brought them the grain, and they, you know, during the Depression, you had to have flour and bread, so. The family had some means, so they had the kids, uh, the two boys, go to college uh, on the train, which was unheard of uh, during the Depression. And uh, my dad uh, came home, and he uh, he met this uh, young lady, uh, May uh, Smith, uh, who was from a little dirt farm where the only thing you could grow would be old. And uh, the, the Southwards weren't too excited about this, uh, but it seemed like Mom and Dad got to drinking, and, uh, and then I showed up. So with... Uh, in a little Mormon town in 1938, when you have a child and you have to get married, the best thing you can do is move. And uh, so we moved to Boise. And uh, my dad and I never got close. Uh, he was an alcoholic. His father was an alcoholic. They both played cards. Uh, my uh, grandmother, Southworth, was a, a uh, Al-Anon untreated. And my mother was an Al-Anon untreated. And it was just handed down and handed down. And uh, my father died of cirrhosis of the liver. Uh, and a volume deficiency at, uh, in 1977. And he, at my age that I am now. And, uh, he said he'd rather die to go to AA and he, uh, got his wish. And it's sad that we, we never got to know each other. Uh, I was scared of the man. Uh, I was raised with fear. Uh, I was, uh, raised with, um, a lot of bartering. And I never saw much of my dad. And what my mother told me was, he really loves you, but he, he's not around much because he has to make money so that we can have this nice place to live. 
and that was okay. And my mother loved me so much. Uh, I was a pride and joy. She didn't win the Planned Parenthood Award, so she was going to be the mother of the year with me. And she dressed me up in a little uh, soldier outfit during World War II, took me uptown. People gave me gum. My, oh, this is neat. My first word I said was Coke. And... Uh, <laughs> I later, I later in life got to use that word a lot. I, uh, I, uh, I remember my dad on special occasions, uh, to manipulate me and my mother. My mother would always say, you know what's going to happen when your dad gets home. Now, I still don't know what's going to happen when he gets home, but I was scared. Uh, my dad was a big man and, uh, he, uh, he had a lot of hair on his chest, and if I started acting out, he would take a match and light his hair on fire. And I, <laughs> I didn't know how to quite place that. And <laughs> that's why one of my friends said I could be in group therapy and be the only one in there. So I, uh, I sure did what he wanted me to do, though, I can tell you that. There was a paddle there that he never used, but uh, he told me what it was about, and my mom... But anyway, uh, for those six years, uh, I was with my mom every day, and and we were we were in, enmeshed. Uh, we were really together a lot. And uh, I remember as soon as I'd hear my dad leave the house, I would creep in, in and get in bed with my mom, who I love so much. And uh, so then, uh, after six years, a disaster happened in our family. My sister Linda was born, and when when she came home, she took my place in that bed, and they sent me off to Whitney Grade School. That wasn't exactly what I had in mind. And I would act out uh, in school. And I was, the one thing that my mom said is, your dad would really like you to have good grades. Well, being an overachiever, I got good grades. I was captain of the patrols. We had surplus apples that we took around to the other kids. Anything that was there, I was, I was it. And I was a top student. By 1950, my dad had the opportunity of, uh, we, were mo- we were living in Boise at the time. We were going to go back to Oakley so he could buy the flour mill from his father. And going from Boise back to this little farming community where everybody there had, was in FFA, you know, Future Farmers of America, and everybody had a goat and a chicken, and I, uh, I didn't, and I didn't fit real well with those other kids. And uh, it was about 1951-52 that uh, I was first introduced to Lucky Strikes, and uh, my first drug was, was Lucky Strikes. And it made me quite a bit taller, and uh, I, uh, I wore dark glasses, and I leaned up against... Uh, a car, and I had a raincoat on, and I looked a lot like Jimmy Dean, I think. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, that's the way I was going to win over the, the girls. And my my body started to change, and the, the you know the sex stuff came up, and I didn't know who to talk to. You know, I wasn't going to talk to the bishop, that's for sure, and, nor my father, and I sure as hell wasn't going to talk to my mother. So as a freshman in high school, there was only one really good source for real good information, and that was the seniors. And. Uh, <laughs> That didn't work out real well. The, uh, I, uh, I, I was quite excited about the way things were changing, and I went from uh, a straight-A student in a, uh, when I, I was introduced to beer. The older kids gave me some beer, and it, it, it lowered my inhibitions and, and uh, some of the girls, and so I could start doing some experimenting. And, and uh, my grades went from straight-A's to uh, D's and F's, and then there was uh, there were some of the older kids. They used to let school out for three weeks, and we would pick potatoes. And uh, I saved my money. We got a Nicholas sack. It was before they had combines. And the older kids found out that I had 200 bucks.
So they were nice enough to take me to Wells, Nevada, uh, and introduce me to red light districts. And that's, that's where I was introduced to, uh, to ladies. And I, I'm not proud of this. It's just I've got to tell you the truth of how tough it was on me trying to decipher through this. I remember being told by my mother, sex is bad, it's immoral, you can't do it, save it for the one you love. <laughs> so I, uh, I didn't, uh, I didn't know how that worked out. I, uh, the, the only person I, the only female I ever loved in my life was my mother, and then when I got in relationships, it was, they were always my mother, and it was very, it was very uncomfortable, and I've had to go to a lot of therapy, uh, to get through this, because I, I'm still trying to figure this one out. But I, uh, I, uh, finally, uh, was getting in enough trouble in high school that my English teacher made a deal with my folks that, uh, if I didn't come back to English, uh, they'd let me graduate. And, uh, so I, I graduated and I went to, uh, Idaho State University Pharmacy School. <laughs> uh, I wish I'd have got that license. I could have used it. I, uh, we got drunk and, uh, we hit a tree, uh, first week I was in school and uh, we scalped three little girls, uh, they were in a car with us. We were all drunk. I went through the front windshield and was left for dead out in a farmer's field. And he found me and found the identification in the uh, in my wallet and called my mother, who was 200 miles away, and said, "Do you have a son, John Southworth?" And she said, "Yeah." And she said, "Well, he's laying uh, out in my field, bleeding to death." And uh, you can imagine what my mother went through and, and my dad. So they came up and got me and took me home. And I uh, I started driving truck. I uh, didn't go back to school. I had to lay off for a while. And uh, I just started driving truck, and I thought, something's got to happen, because I, I picked up my first DUI on the way to Burley, Idaho, and uh, I was put in jail, and that was really scary, and I started to cry, and uh, they let me out, and <laughs> so my uh, my uncle, uh, he, he caught me a few weeks later, and he said, uh, I understand you cried when you are in jail, and I said, yeah, and I got out, and I'll do it again, too, if it'll let me out. <laughs> So I knew manipulation from our family. I, I learned very well, and I knew about fear and all the other and the judgment and and other people. But I uh, I picked up that DUI, and uh, the thing I wanted to do was be like other people. And I never felt normal. I I used to just gaze at other people, and I compared my insides with their outsides, and I, I couldn't figure out what they were doing. But I thought the best thing to do would be to get married. Now, for me to get married, I'd have to have a new car, so I'd attract some lady. And so I got a 59 Chevrolet white Impala convertible with a turquoise interior. <laughs> How are you going to miss? So I uh, I bought the car in March, and I had the top down, and it was snowing. And uh, <laughs> and I I pulled into uh, the Pilots Club in Burley, Idaho, and I was taking a load of frozen french fries to Charleston, West Virginia the next day, and they were loading it. And so I went in, and Peb said, uh, well, how about having a drink? And I said, well, I, I don't know. Maybe I'll have one. i got to take a load of fries in the morning. He said, well, come on in. And so one for me was, was not enough, a thousand too much, da-da-da-da. Pretty soon I'm drunk. Now, I'm not an alcoholic. So uh, Peb said, give me the keys to your car and take a cab home. And I said, well, okay. So I gave him the keys to my car, not being an alcoholic, and I took the cab home. I really wished I'd have taken the driver with me. Um, he was in... <laughs> He, he was in getting a cup of coffee, and I just got in the cab and took it home. That's what he told me to do. So, When I got out of jail the next day, uh, my truck was gone, and uh, they had hired somebody else. Well, in the meantime, my folks did something that I thought was pretty sneaky. They moved to Caldwell, Idaho, and didn't tell me. And uh, so I found them. 
And so I I was up there, and I uh, I went to work in the office supply business, and I was a good salesman. And as long as I was with Mr. Summers, who owned the store, inside that store, I did really well. I did extremely well, but he made a mistake. He made me an outside salesman. Now I'm traveling around Idaho selling typewriters and office equipment, and then I start waking up seeing spots, you know, like Elko and Reno, and, and uh, pretty soon I lost that job. I couldn't hold a job any longer, so I went to work herding cattle. And I took off in the middle of the night to do this, so I wouldn't have to face my parents. And I've, I haven't seen a lot of cowboys in a Hart Shafter and Mark suit, except me. And I'm sitting out there herding cattle in this rainstorm in this suit and tie. And uh, it was a mess. We were living in a jail that was uh, sod. And uh, I asked Ludie, who I went to work for, I said, can you cook? And he said, yeah, no problem. We had peanut butter and jelly for two months. Uh, finally, I told Ludie, I said, you know, I've got to get out of here. And I went back and I, I applied for a job out of Chicago as a traveling salesman. It was a company with, called Speedo Print Business Machines. And I got into a routine. Being a real good salesman, I would, uh, and I traveled a lot of the uh, western states. Well, I, I traveled Michigan and other Midwest states. But the thing I found my pattern was, as my disease progressed, I was drinking and then uh, uh, I would let up, uh, you know, when I passed out. And then I would be, stay in bed the next morning and then maybe go down and have a little dinner the next night. But it was every other day. And then pretty soon it was every day. And my drinking continued. And I thought, oh, I've got to do something about this damn drinking. And I was over in Portland, Oregon. And, you know, I used to drink just to relax. And I've been relaxed about four weeks. And I, I came across the Burnside Bridge there and I had a brand new, what was that, about 60, 68 Thunderbird, black with red interior, and it was just beautiful. And it was snowing hard, and, and we'd been drinking all day. And there was this guy, uh, and uh, I uh, uh, gave him a push. It was a bad snowstorm, so I gave him a push. He would stop at the red light, and I was doing about 60 when I pushed him. <laughs> and uh, when I, I got out of the car, and my car was completely destroyed, and this gentleman was not hurt, thank God. And uh, I was leaning up with my Jimmy Dean glasses on, smoking a cigarette, and the cop was standing there. Uh, he'd been sitting over here on 2nd Street, or 1st Street, I guess it was. And he walked over and he said, my God, what's happened here? And I said, I don't know. I just got here myself. <laughs> These guys didn't know how to take any humor. So uh, I don't know how many of you ever been in that Portland jail, the old one, but it was not fun. Oh, you were? Oh, good. <laughs> Wasn't that wonderful? <laughs> that jail... That jail, they took me up to the top, you know, and he said, you got one call, buddy. And I said, okay. And I called the liquor store. <laughs> they didn't like that either. They put me in, they put me in, locked me up, and I had been a real smarty. When I get drunk, I know everything. And uh, so I thought, this isn't good. Uh, because uh, I'm starting to detox, and, and I hadn't gone through this before without being able to get uh, maybe a little Bloody Mary or something. And I started hallucinating, and I had all kinds of problems. They got me over into the metal ward, and then I got some pills, and uh, it wasn't a bad trip. And I, uh, Bruce Peary came over and bailed me out, bless his heart. He's still a friend of mine. He works for the Salvation Army with alcoholics now. And uh, Bruce was taking me home, and I was shaking, and he said, I understand you had a real tough time. And I said, Bruce, I've never been so scared. And he said, what are you going to do, John, about this? And I said, I'll never drink again. And he was so proud of me. So we stopped and got a case of beer <laughs> because, you know, that was that was no big deal. And uh, I went back and uh, I, I got another DUI. I was down in Phoenix, Arizona. I, I, got a, I don't tell this story much, but I, I had to go from Phoenix to Los Angeles. We were having a... A, a big meeting, and I had this black Thunderbird, and in those days, no air conditioning, 119 degrees, 
And I, I went over to the shaking and I was red, you know, and, and that hangover, you know, where your mouth is a little dry. And I said, I've got to go across the desert and I've got to get to Los Angeles. I said, do you have any air conditioners? And he said, no, and we couldn't put one in that car. And I said, well, do you have those little ones? Remember those you put in the window and the wind came through them, you know? And I thought, do you have one of those? And he said, no. He said, the only thing I could do, he, he said, buy this ice chest. And no, we didn't have styrofoam in those days. And he said, get this ice chest. And he said, uh, I'll, uh, and, and send me across the street to get a head of cabbage. And he said, I'll put some ice and some water in there. And he said, just tear some of these leaves off and put them down in this water. He said, take your shirt off. And he said, just put the, put the cabbage leaf on your head. So here I am with a black Thunderbird, red, red upholstery, no shirt, and I'm driving to Los Angeles with this hangover, with this cabbage leaf on my head and the water just dripping down, you know, and I'm fighting. And I had no idea I'd been taken until I got to this stoplight, this is before the previous, and there's some farmers in a pickup, and when I look back, they were falling out of the pickup. So I knew I'd, I'd made an error here, so I... Everything seemed to have happened to me, and I, and I was so gullible. But anyway, I, uh, I was running out of jobs. I got fired from that company, and, and being an alcoholic like I am, uh, you know, I, I tried everything, you know, only drink on weekends, and then I ended up with only drinking on the days that ended in Y. <laughs> uh, I loved that one the best. And I, uh, so I, I, uh, <laughs> I ended up in Los Angeles, and I worked for Herman Shapiro at Christ. And pretty soon, uh, I, uh, I was borrowing other people's credit cards at parties and going to Hawaii. And, um, when I got home, some of my friends, you know, kind of took a dim view, especially their wives. And so I was telling this friend of mine about this, and, uh, I couldn't hold a job any longer. So we put together a group of people, upstanding citizens in Santa Monica, and, uh, we started uh, wrecking cars for the insurance money. And, uh, we were buying all of Ralph Nader's little, uh, Corvairs. And then a, a bigger Cadillac, and then we put this deal together, and we were doing scams for $6,500 at a time, and we were using the hospital in Marina del Rey, and the doctors got to where they were just using the same x-rays every time on us because it was the same scam going over and over again, and we, we weren't making enough money, and all this was was to keep our, our habit going of our alcohol, and then we started to uh, scam the airlines by, uh, we would throw our suitcases in the in the uh, car and then go back in and report them stolen and collect $500. So when you have to go through the, uh, you know, and show them your tickets now, you can thank us for that at the Atlanta airport. Um, also, we started buying uh, credit cards that didn't get to you people uh, that uh, the mailman would sell to us. We were uh, buying them the uh, your credit card from uh, the, the uh, mailman in Venice, uh, California, and then we would sign your name on the back of it. And we'd ha- we had a lady that worked at the May Company, and we would call the number in, and she would tell us whether it was okay or not in those days. They had a little TRW machine. And uh, we started making money there, and then we found out that you, you just, it was too difficult to try to keep all of it together. Then we came on the, the idea of why not sink boats? So we would go down to Marina Del Rey, but remember, we can't get jobs, and this is to keep our alcohol going. And we thought we were doing great. And we, so we started sinking the boats, uh, fictitiously, but we would, we would take the, we went and got these letters at the hardware store. I went down to the Marina Del, or the Marina in the, uh, uh, in Los Angeles and put different numbers on them. We had a gal working up in Sacramento that'd get us the pink slip, we'd go buy the insurance, and then one day we'd say that uh, the boat was sunk and we'd get $35,000. Well, that was pretty good, but then we thought, why not start our own insurance company and not turn in the money? 
Well, the state of California didn't like the idea, and most of my friends uh, went to prison. I uh, I left for Idaho. Uh, I had a longing to see my mom and dad. My friend moved to uh, Costa Rica, and uh, my uncle was alive then. He died at 55 with this disease and uh, and heart problems. And and uh, he said, John, he said, I'll loan you $30,000. He said, you're a good salesman. He said, this, this alcohol is out of control. He said, if you uh, uh, will go to Boise, let your dad handle the money. He said, uh, I'll let you uh, borrow this money and start an off-supply store. Well, I did. And it was in, De- or it was in August 1972. And I was a good salesman. I put it together, but I was drinking every day, and it got worse and worse and worse. And finally it got to the point where I couldn't maintain anymore. Then I went to, uh, I asked my mom, I was so scared, and I was crying, and I said, Mom, i got to do something about this alcohol. And she said, I don't know what to do. And the only place we knew of was an aversion treatment center in Portland called Raleigh Hills. So I went up there and went through aversion treatment. Uh, during detox, they had to strap me down. Uh, for detox, they gave us three ounces of alcohol every hour or so uh, to take care of the shakes. And uh, then after two or three days, they got, gave us what they called the wiener bottle, and then they moved us in the main ward. And, and uh, then we went into treatment every other day and where we'd go in there and drink. They, they would... Uh, uh, shoot us with this drug that made you sick and we had this pan in front of us, you know, and then we had to drink six bottles of Blitz beer under 92 degrees heat. These people didn't know what ice was. Then there was an uh, alcohol called uh, Icky Pay, which was Taiwan whiskey, and then vodka, and this went on every other day. On your day off, you couldn't watch TV or anything, and I, I was in there one day and, and I was playing gin. I said, gin, and three guys threw up. I, <laughs> when I uh, When I came out, uh, that was a two-week program, and uh, you didn't need AA. That was that was really a, a neat deal. You didn't have to go to the damn meetings. All you needed was B12. So anytime I got stressed out, I I uh, used B12. I found marijuana worked better. Uh, so I went on the marijuana maintenance program, and I uh, uh, I was smoking grass. And all the time at the office supply, st- I started the office supply store, Southworth Discount Stationers, in December of 72, and it went off like this. And I thought it was me. I didn't know it was inflation. And it grew and grew to seven stores, $10 million a year, and I had money coming in, and I had money like you couldn't believe, and I was wealthy, and I thought, I am the brightest person I've ever met. And I, uh, my, <laughs> I just, I, I really truly thought it was everything to do with me. And, um, I uh, was buying bars and selling the liquor licenses, and things were really humming. And uh, then God said to me one day, he says, uh, uh, I would really like you to work in the treatment field. And he says, you're a very good salesman. I said, I really would, God, but, you know, I'm really busy. i got these seven off-supply stores. And he said, that's no problem. I was broke uh, <laughs> by July July 30th, 1980. She was all over. I... Uh, I made a deal with the bank. I wouldn't write any more checks, and they wouldn't cash them. I owed uh, I owed about $2 million. Uh, I, I paid a lot of it back. Some of it I couldn't. And I went into depression like I've never... I didn't know what depression was. Uh, my ego... All the credit cards were gone. They were take, they, I had 36 cars and trucks, 138 people working for me, and the... Uh, the uh, the cars were all being towed away, and I remember I had a big red Lincoln out in front of my house, and all the neighbors knew about me, but still my ego was intact, you know, and, and uh, I walked out one day when the director was there, and they were hooking it up to pull away my brand new Lincoln, you know, and all the neighbors came out to do something in their yards, you know, so they could watch them tow away, <laughs> and by the time the tow driver got out there, and I said, don't bring that son of a bitch back to get it fixed either, and walk back in the house. <laughs> I wouldn't let up. So I... 
after uh, after that was gone, I was introduced to a white powder that uh, was non-addictive, and uh, thank God for Coke. And I uh, I really got involved in it. I started uh, dealing. Uh, everybody that is a drug dealer has to buy a gun, so I bought a gun. And I think they were pretty impressed with me when we went in to buy a on, work on a deal one time in Portland. He said, "Be sure your safety's off." And I said, "What's a safety?" <laughs> so uh, they didn't want to take me the next time. But anyway. I, I'm, I've got very paranoid on this drug. I had a lot of problems with this drug. I, uh, I had about a half million dollars stowed away with assets. I lost the assets uh, by not making my payments. And then I had about 150000 cash, I think. And uh, that was all gone in less than two years. And uh, there was lots of, uh, lots of prostitutes, lot, lots of drugs. And I finally, uh, I couldn't take it anymore. I went into treatment. And uh, I came out 66 days later. I was using again. I went back into treatment, uh, actually for detox this time for a week, came back, started using again, went back in. After four times, including the detoxes, the counselor came in and he said, is your way working? And I thought that was a stupid question. I remember in December of 82, I wanted to go to the Eagle AA meeting to pick up my 10-year chip, and they wouldn't let me out of detox to go get it. So I, I stayed, and he said, I want you to do something for me, and that's to uh, do 90 meetings in 90 days. And uh, I said I would. So I, I went. I didn't like AA. Uh, in those days, they looked down and boys take place. This was my first time. I, I was dating a lady, and uh, she, uh, she got married, and this was after two and a half years of dating her, and this is the first time I'd felt rejection from uh, a woman. And I didn't know what to do. And uh, I was so scared. And I really, I started eating a lot. I, uh, I gained about 70 pounds. I started hiding Twinkies. I uh, went in to buy a suit. And they said, what size? And I said, I don't know. And he said, lay down. I'll step it off. I just, it was, it was so embarrassing because I've had so much trouble with food. Uh, I went on every diet that you can imagine. I, uh, I went on the um, fiber diet. I started to uh, pass wicker furniture. It was a, <laughs> I, uh, I, I've tried everything. I, I think right now, with my 17 and a half years sobriety, I now have lost 4,000 pounds. <laughs> the, uh, the workaholism stepped in, as most of you know about. Uh, I know we ask our doctors when they come out of treatment to really cut back on their hours, 15, 30 hours, you know, and, and gradually get back in, work on your program. And I didn't do that. I went right into picking up all the speed I could. And uh, as far as working, and I was, I, be, I became a counselor. And some people asked me uh, about my credentials, and I said, "Well, I don't have any." I, well, I was scared to come up here because I didn't have any credentials, you know. And, and uh, an old grizzly guy in, in Boise said, "Oh, you're a PhD with a BA." And I said, "What's that?" He said, "Psychologically handicapped drunk with a bad attitude." <laughs> okay. So I remember when I was in treatment, they they did a they did a mass test on me, and he said. Uh, he said, you're a paranoid, pathological sociopath. And I thought, where in the hell am I going to put that on an employment application? <laughs> so, I, there was a, Idaho made a deal where in 1983, uh, if you got a DUI, that you uh, had to be evaluated. So I went down and took a course to become a DUI evaluator. Then a lady there in Boise, uh, she hired me. Uh, well, actually, I was a volunteer, and I worked for her, and then I, uh, I started in becoming a counselor and, and working along at this rate, and I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed what I was doing. And then uh, I, uh, 
I went to a lot of seminars. Uh, I, I got to meet a lot of people. And then in ni- 1986, I, uh, I was working very hard, and I was in Seattle. And just to let you know that I'm an ACA, an adult child of an alcoholic, and codependent, I, uh, I was over there on a business trip, and I was in that uh, high rise at the top of the uh, uh, this tower in Seattle when I had a stroke. And uh, my right arm curled up, and uh, rather than disappoint the people that had taken me up there, I just laid a napkin over it and went down and, and ate with my left hand. And uh, it was very miserable. I uh, went back to the Stauffer Hotel that night, and the next morning I had another seizure. And I wouldn't go to the hospital. I was with this lady, and we went over to a friend of mine's house, and there I had my third seizure. Finally, somebody said, maybe we ought to take him to the hospital. So I got over there. They got me on Delanton, got me home, and I finally got back my my arm. But I remember that ever since I've been in, in uh, recovery, I worked for women, which was, was different than anything I'd ever done before. And my boss came over, and I was very angry because I was working so hard. And I said, Carrie... And I couldn't, I had to hold my arm, and I said, Carrie, this is pitiful. I said, look at my schedule. I said, I can't keep this up. And look at my arm. And she said, who makes your schedule? And I said, I do. And she said, well, you have a nice day. I finally had to take some responsibility about saying no. And it's really tough for an addict. So from 1986 to 1995, I started to lose weight, started to work on my on my program of exercise. And in, uh, on March the 12th of 1995, I had a heart attack. I, uh, I was back on that uh, track again of, of overworking, not taking care of myself, still going to meetings though. I, I, don't, I don't miss my meetings. I, I always get to my meetings. I keep that foundation of my, uh, I'm too scared not to. I, I've been in treatment enough times that I know that and I've tried suicide and, and the commitment papers and all that stuff. So I, I was really scared not to go to AA. Uh, I did the uh, angioplasty. And uh, 90 days later, it broke or failed in Reno, and I had to get back to Boise, and then they put a stand in there. And I was doing pretty good, and, and towards the end of uh, this uh, 1999, I knew I was not going to make it, and uh, I was having a lot of chest pain and trying to hide. I remember Jim Tracy was all over me, but you've got to do this, and I said, oh, well, I can't do this right now. I'm too busy, and I went to Mexico. And I, I stayed down there for a week. I went to a, a fat farm and, and tried to get my weight down. I thought if I got my weight down, my heart would come back, you know. And I'm a good medical person. And so I I came back, and they, they did a stress test on me. And he said, whoa, get off there. He said, we've got to do an angiogram right now. And he came back, and he said, we've got, we've got to do nine bypasses. And uh, the man running St. Luke's Hospital uh, came to me. And he was going to bring me home. He's been a friend of mine. I uh, I did an intervention on him, and he went through Talbot. And uh, I said, Gary, uh, they want me to do this this bypass, and uh, I, I think I can get it done maybe in, in April. And he said, How long did you give me to get on the plane when you did the intervention on me? And I said, Well, maybe we ought to make arrangements now. Then he said, Yeah, this is a good idea. So my friends wouldn't let up on me. I did call Mark Broadhead, who I love dearly. He's a psychiatrist. And an addictionologist person, or a board certified addictionist, and I called Mark and I said, Mark, I am so scared. I've got to have open heart surgery. Is there anything that you can think of? And he said, Yes. He said, Why don't you try mud baths? And I said, Mark, he's in recovery, as you couldn't guess. I said, Mark, mud baths? Will that work? And he said, No, but you'll get used to the dirt. <laughs> so, I thought, why not? Why don't I get? Why don't I get this done right now? 
so I went in and I uh, I I had my uh, I had my uh, they can only do eight bypasses. And uh, Lynn flew over. Uh, I gave him instructions what to do when I was going down the elevator. I was so loaded on on Demerol. I gave him a whole bunch of instructions what to do. He told me about it. I don't remember. But we had gone to my uh, my birthday. My birthday, of course, was January 1st for my belly button and my AA birthday. And I was seven. I turned 17 on January 1st, and we had it on the third because the church was closed. So, and I was my oper- I had to go in that day. And one, we went and had lunch with a bunch of my friends and and. Uh, the, uh, a disc jockey lady that I love very much. I'd done an intervention on her, and, and she uh, she was taking me over to the hospital. She said, you scared? And I said, I'm scared to death. And she said, what are you scared of mostly? And I said, the doctor's language. She said, why? And I said, they want to get me in early so they can map my veins and arteries. And then they want to find the right ones and harvest the right arteries to put in my chest. And then they're going to break my scrotum. And she said... What kind of an operation are you going to have? And I said, well, I think they said, she said, you mean sternum? And I said, well, one of those. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's why hanging around doctors hasn't, hasn't really got to me yet as far as, uh, so anyway, uh, I don't want that ice cream to melt. I, uh, I just want to, I want to say one last thing. And uh, if I can get through this is there's three things that have allowed me to be on this side of the grass. Uh, and those three things are all in this room tonight. Oh, boy. That is my God of my understanding. The 12-step groups that I'm affiliated with, AA, Al-Anon, OA, what are, all of them that I'm doing. The only one I haven't gone to is Neuro- Neurotics Anonymous. They don't tell me where they meet. But... My God of my understanding in this room, the 12-step groups, and you, the medical profession, have allowed me to live to see this night. And I want to thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thanks.